Bonjour, y'all. My name is Allison Saclou, and I'm the host of Allie in France. This is the perfect podcast for anyone thinking of moving to France, traveling to France, a lover of French culture, or a Francophile in general, which is my case. I will be having weekly podcasts, but if you want to be in the know about everything French, I urge you, I insist that you head on over to my Instagram page where I post daily recipes, travel tips, and interesting insights about living in and traveling around the French countryside. My Instagram is Sacleu. that's A-L-Y-S-A-C-L-E-U-X, that's at Sacleu on Instagram. I've also included a link in the show notes, so you can just click on that. Hit that subscribe button so you'll get the notifications when I publish our episodes. And if you subscribe, I hope you enjoy it. Bonjour, y'all. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Transplanted to France with Alison Saclou. Uh, I think next week we'll be having a guest. I'm still working out the details, but um, that'll be up on next Thursday as well. But today, we're going to be talking about immigrating to France during the COVID outbreak. A lot of factors went into us moving in the midst of the outbreak. I had sold my house in Orlando, so we were basically homeless beginning in beginning May 30th, because that's the day that we closed on the house. Um, we could have stayed with family, but if you think about it, you're looking at a family that's been quarantined since March. The kids haven't had school. Everyone has had very limited social interaction outside of our family. So the whole situation was, was just very intense. So once we decided that we would be leaving in June, my husband, probably in April or so, had been emailing back and forth with the assistant of a French congressman slash diplomat um, that had had kind of like a town meeting of sorts online where he was talking to French citizens and giving them advice about how to how to get back to France, whether they were tourists or whether they were working in the United States and just wanted to come home. So my husband had attended this uh, virtual um, town meeting and um gotten this French congressman's email and he started emailing with uh his assistant um just getting information extra information from him um and my husband Patrick was also reading the French government travel website on a daily basis to see what had changed and whether or not we were going to need negative tests to be able to fly now Back in May, or at the end of May, beginning of June, tests in Florida were pretty hard to find, and they had actually asked the population to not get tested unless you had had symptoms. None of us uh, during quarantine, during the pandemic, had had any symptoms, so we really didn't feel good about going and getting a test 
um, that wasn't necessary because that means at that point we would have been taking it out of someone else's hands. Uh, I'm not sure what the state is right now in the United States, if they're more readily available. Um, probably if we were leaving around this time when the tests are more readily available, we would have taken one just in case. Um, but it wasn't the case back in May. So um, to continue on, we were, you know, checking the websites, um, going back and forth with the assistant of the congressman, we gleaned that what we needed to travel was our livret du famille, or basically our family book. It's a book that contains our wedding date, our birth names, uh, our parents' names, and our children, if we were to have any. Um, my children and his children weren't listed in the book because they're from previous marriages. So... We had to provide my children's birth certificates um, since they weren't listed in the Livret du Famille. Um, another condition that we had to meet to be able to fly was that the flight had to be nonstop. So at that point of the epidemic, the only flights were out of Detroit, New York, Houston, and Atlanta. Uh, thankfully, Atlanta is only a six-hour drive from my mom's house in North Florida. So we drove up to Atlanta the day before the flight and stayed the evening there before getting on our 5 p.m. flight to Paris. Now, I have to admit that our planning was not the best because when we got to the airport, there were no restaurants open in the international terminal. So the only places that we could eat were Starbucks um, and a little news cafe. <clears throat> you know, one of those little uh, news cafes where you can buy magazines and neck pillows and toys for your kids. Um, yeah, so there, thankfully, they also had like a variety of sandwiches, you know, vegetarian, tuna, turkey, um, gluten-free bread, salads, that, I mean, it was awesome. They had everything. Um, uh, which, side note, <laughs> that whole incident made me think back to, um, flying out of Charles de Gaulle Airport, um, because in the airport there in Paris, you can buy a charcuterie board for, like, five euros, and a little bottle with, like, two glasses of wine in it, um, that you can either sit down and enjoy there in the airport, or you can take it on the plane with you. And those little bottles of wine are anywhere between like two to 10 euros, just, you know, depending on, depending on the quality you want. But yeah, <laughs> talk about traveling in style. I definitely missed it then. Overall, I would say that the check-in process was very easy, but it was very strange at the same time because the airport was empty. I'm not really accustomed to hearing my footprint or my footsteps in an airport and just the echo of the emptiness there um, and just the lack of people. It was weird to not be among 
the hustle and bustle of children and families and businesswomen um, and the yips and yaps and meows of, you know, random emotional support animals uh, at any given time. Um, usually I keep my children, you know, super close to me within arm's reach. Uh, but this time since the airport was so empty, uh, the kids just leaned against the windows, uh, in front of the airport, uh, checking counter, which was about a hundred feet away from me while Patrick and I found all the documents that they needed. Um, but one thing you can always count on in even in a post-apocalyptic feeling airport was a slow moving security line because yeah, that was still there. We still had to wait in a security line for a while. Um, now I have to give a shout out to Delta and their check-in agents. The lady that took care of us was super patient with our check-in, even though it took about an hour because we were flying internationally. She knew that Patrick could fly because he was French, but then she had to check and see if we had all of the documents. We knew that we had everything, but um, she just had to go through thoroughly and make sure that we were listed in the livret de du famille, and we had to, you know, show her the kids' passports as well as her birth certificates. Um, and we were also flying with our forty-six-pound golden doodle, uh, who was flying in the cabin with us as an emotional support dog. So she had her own set of documents. Um, so they had to review her veterinary documents, a health certificate that was written to the airline that had to be stamped by the state of Florida, because that's where we resided, not more than 10 days prior to us, fly, uh, us flying. Now, <clears throat> this may, might be a lot of information for some people, but they did have a pet relief place in the international airport, which was great. Uh, I'm sure people are really appreciative for that, but we took our dog there three or four times and all we got was uh, her looking at us with uh, what the heck mommy face um, and she just turned her nose up and walked out because she was, it was not going to happen. The Delta agent was also awesome. Sorry, you guys, by the way, this is not advertising for Delta. I'm just really appreciative of everything that they did for us. So uh, initially, our seats were separated on the plane. So the Delta agent also placed us in the same row um, because for some reason, our kids have been placed beside other people on the plane. So she put my kids together. The plane was, I can't remember if it was two seats, four seats, and two seats, you know, two on the sides and four in the middle, or if it was two on the sides and five in the middle, but so my husband and I sat on either side of the middle section um, because we, neither of us like sitting in a middle seat. We both want to sit on the aisle, so we were like separated by two or three seats. Um, yeah, the stewardesses looked at us funny. But let's say if we sat in like row um, 29, 
he was in like C 29 C. Um, and then D and E were empty. And then I sat in like 29 F and then my kids were to my right and they were like 29 G and H. And that's how the majority of people were placed on the plane. There was usually a large gap um, in the middle of the plane if the people weren't family. Uh, we left the gap in the middle because that's where our spoiled dog slept uh, most of the ride. After takeoff and a lot of persistence uh, on my children's part, I let them take off their masks. I could not tell them no because their eyes were red and bloodshot from breathing their own CO2 in from the time we left the hotel at 1 p.m. in the hotel bus to when our flight took off at 5 p.m. Um, and I know, especially for all you parents out there, it's really difficult to make that decision but because you're really torn by the threat of the illness. But at the same time, uh, I have healthy kids that luckily don't have a compromised immune system. Um, and I can see the fact that wearing the mask was just detrimental to them at that point. Because like I said, their eyes were red and bloodshot and the little guy was complaining of a headache. I feel that so many parents have come up against this decision during this pandemic. It's like whether to wear the mask or not. And in the end, it's just your call because you have to decide what's best for your kid because you know their health history, you know the environment that they're in. Um, prior to getting on the plane, we had done some research about the, the filtration system and how much the air is re recycled or turned over. Um, and we found out that it happens really quickly, that the, uh, the filtration system can make a complete air change approximately 15 to 30 times per hour. So that's like every two to four minutes. That did make me feel, I'd say, a bit safer, but I still left my mask on until dinner time. So probably a couple hours after the plane took off. Um, and honestly, after dinner, I just gave up on wearing the mask while I was in my seat. Whenever I would get up to go to the bathroom or grab something out of the overhead bin, I would put my mask back on as a courtesy to others in the plane. And I also required my kids to do, to do the same. A lot of people on the plane that were of advanced age only removed their masks during mealtimes. Some people that were my age did the same as me, and others kept their masks on for the duration of the trip. I would say that the plane was probably less than 50% full, but they made up for it on prices because the one-way ticket from Atlanta to Paris was about $1,100 per person. Unfortunately, Patrick and I can never sleep on planes. We always try to by taking natural adaptogens or CBD gummies or I think this trip we even had like a glass or two of whiskey just to kind of mellow us out and maybe induce some sleep. 
but we did all those things to no avail (laughs) and I think we probably slept between 15 and 30 minutes on the eight hour flight um I guess eventually I'll learn how to sleep on a plane if anybody has any tips for sleeping on a plane just send me an email it's in the show notes or you can comment on my Instagram because I'm sure we'll be going back to visit my family soon when this whole pandemic is over and I'd really like to get some Z's on the plane I mean is that too much to ask I'm like almost 40 and I haven't learned how to do that yet but anyway I digress um, so our arrival to Charles de Gaulle airport was very simple compared to our check-in. There wasn't anyone taking temperatures there. Um, so I'm thinking there must've been some thermal cameras scanning passengers as we arrived, but I'm not really sure because I didn't see any evidence of them. We only waited in line for about 30 minutes to go through immigration as there weren't very many immigration officers. I'm assuming that's due to the lack of passengers traveling, perhaps. Um, But at this point, we were really worried about the dog since she hadn't gone to the bathroom in the airport in Atlanta. We were trying to get outside as quickly as possible so that she could relieve herself. So my husband raced to get outside with her as quickly as possible but she was super nonchalant she was just looking around and trying to lick and jump up on everybody we once we got her outside she refused to go she sniffed around the asphalt and the concrete but she didn't go she decided to wait until we got to our friend's house in Montmorency which is um, a suburb of Paris, only about 20 minutes away from the airport. So until she finally tinkled in their yard. So a crazy dog basically didn't use a bathroom for 24 hours. And it's not that she didn't have the chance, but because she's more of a princess than we had bargained for. Yes, I'm talking about you. She came over here for pets. Um, so that, oh, you smell like a dog. Um, so that's our story on, okay, if you hear panting, that's her, not me. Uh, that's our story on traveling amidst the pandemic. We honestly thought that we were traveling at the end of the pandemic. We didn't know that it was going to continue on like this for so many months. Um, I hope this information is helpful to whoever's thinking about traveling now. Honestly, I would say that it wasn't any more stressful traveling during COVID than any other time. I might even venture to say that it was less stressful because there are less people. Um, and I, I don't know if you're like me, but I kind of get nervous around a crowd, like when people are super close. Um, so... There are less people, um, everyone keeps their distance, so you have that personal space that a lot of times gets invaded in airports and on airplanes, and because everybody's trying to be courteous and keep at least six feet apart, so... Our next podcast will be talking about our transition to France, 
the kids and I and also our visa situation, which is a little bit up in the air right now. We're not exactly illegal, but we're not exactly legal yet either. So we're in this weird place. Um, oh, we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. Bonjour, y'all, and thank you for listening to another episode of Transplanted to France.